Welcome to the Jester's Court Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Geyser. Still trying to make these openings as non-awkward as possible. But when you are debilitatingly awkward as a human being, it's very hard to do. So bear with me. Maybe that's my thing. Maybe my thing is just awkward. Maybe I should just embrace this, you know. Maybe I should just say something off the wall, right off the top, so you just know, hey, can't get more awkward from there, and then, hey, maybe it will seem normal from there. But jokes aside, we are actually, after this long and weird journey in which we launched a King's podcast, in the middle of one of the worst times to launch a basketball podcast, podcast, I meant blog, whatever, like I said, awkward, there's my awkward thing, but we launched a blog in the middle of a suspended season in which there was almost no basketball news. But hey, this is a King's podcast, a King's blog. So of course, now the basketball's back, the Kings find many ways to make headlines. And not to make light of injury or anything, but it is incredibly King's to not only have one of the leading, um, what would the word be? leading outbreaks of COVID-19 within their own roster. I believe we had four different players test positive, but also have De'Aaron Fox down with an injury, although hopefully he'll be back by the time that matters. It just came in that Marvin Bagley's going to miss this despite the four months off. He re-injured a foot or maybe it's a different injury, but he sprained his foot. Very strange to me, but I'm not a doctor. Um, although some might argue that the King's training staff aren't doctors either. That's not a factual statement. That's just speculation given how the post-Pete Youngman years have gone. I'm about to be joined by two, I don't know if my favorite people, I say my favorite people a lot facetiously, and I don't want to lie to the audience, but they're two people regardless. Tim Maxwell, Sanjesh Singh, both of the King's Herald both offering their own insights on this and we're going to discuss Bagley, Fox, just our expectations going into this. Hopefully there will be some exciting content come basketball time. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention in the way the Kings make headlines, Rashawn Holmes apparently crossing the line to pick up food from Postmates, whatever it was, and having to quarantine for several days because of that. So Hey, Kangs is not just a word we say to sound funny. It is very much a culture within this organization. So without further ado, I'm going to go speak to my friends, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, I am here with Tim Maxwell and Sanjesh Singh. Um, What more can I say about them that I didn't already say before this? They don't know how I introduced them. Could have been nice. Could have been mean. They'll just have to listen and find out. But how's it going, you two? It's going well. I hope you were nice. Otherwise, I'm not going to approve this recording. It's going out. Like, you could say anything. It's going out as is. Fair enough. <laughs> How about you, Sanjish? How's it? How's it... <laughs> it's going pretty well. Um, I'm excited to talk more about the Kings today. Are you it's really excited? Weird. 
Like, there's nothing exciting going on. <laughs> hey, Harrison Barnes might be coming back. Right. I, I keep forgetting he's gone. Um, it's so weird that we are actually a few days away from exhibitions, but still, we are hey. not that far away. In late July, from Kings games and a possible playoff berth, nothing. Like, I think I had both of you on when we did our predictions. I don't think anyone predicted this. Nobody could have predicted this. <laughs> no, not at all. I do that would have been coming. wild. Yeah. But yeah. So without oh, I, I told you guys I was gonna throw you a curveball. So we are gonna discuss Marvin Bagley, but I am preemptively at the beginning banning any use of the name of the guy who was drafted after him. I'm Trey just Young? banning. Oh yeah, I guess it's too because of the trade. Yeah, you can mention Trey Young, but the guy Trey okay. Young was traded for. We are banning his name from this podcast. We are sticking to Kings. I don't have a strict to sports policy, a strict, a stick to sports policy, but we are sticking to Kings when we discuss Marvin Bagley. Deal? Do my best. Maybe. Have you seen Tim's, my Twitter account? <laughs> yeah, Tim's frothing at the mouth right now. He's. We aren't on video right now, but I can hear the froth just forming. He's about Wait, is this it? <laughs> You can faintly hear the sound by Waterloo can. But yeah. Anyways, why why beat around the bush? The Kings have found a way. I mentioned this in the intro. We know basketball's almost back because the Kings have found multiple ways to make headlines. And of course they have. But biggest one right now, Marvin Bagley is not going to be part of the bubble. <laughs> they thought he was going to... I think some of us thought maybe, hey, four months off, maybe that's going to be good for him. But no, he landed on someone's foot. He's out for the bubble. So I don't know what to ask about that, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I well, think we... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think it's pretty disappointing. Like for the Kings fans, yeah, it's disappointing because they can't see the number one two pick, you know, possibly redeem his season in Orlando. But it's also frustrating for Bagley because, you know, he's put in a lot of work, months of work to get to this point, only to have it all wiped away a few days before the scrimmage game starts. Um, I mean, all we can hope for is that Bagley can heal up properly, which the Kings, according to their medical update, have said. And he bounces back for a good third season, but it's a gloomy day for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's been a gloomy two weeks, right? We had (laughs) Rashawn Holmes quarantine which he actually left quarantine today i believe and then we had the deer well then we found out harrison barnes had COVID 19 and st- maybe has joined the team we're not really sure we think maybe he's joined the team and then we had De'Aaron fox get hurt uh and then we had obviously marvin bagley get hurt so this is life as a kings fan um you know like sanjay said i think you got to feel bad for marvin bagley himself right i mean i know as as kings fans one of our reactions is to joke because we're miserable all the time and and all we can do is laugh through it but i'm sure he's wildly disappointed it sounds like just like kind of like all of his other injuries it was kind of a freak thing that happened he landed on someone's foot wrong and hurt his foot we don't really know exactly what the injury is i don't think of right foot sprain or something but um the kings and marvin bagley and the really vladi divak and, and the front office have a lot of questions to answer surrounding his selection and his production i mean at the end of the season, he's going to have played less than 50% of his career games 
through two seasons. So he's got to come back really strong next year. Otherwise, the team honestly has some difficult choices ahead of them next year as far as what they're going to do with Marvin Bagley. Yeah, it's in, I'm I'm optimistic isn't the word, but I'm willing to give him a chance, I think, more than a lot of Kings fans are. But yeah, eventually, um, you, you mentioned this in the Slack earlier, and I decided to just not say anything so we could keep the conversation for the podcast. But you were talking about injury prone, which he technically is at the point, but he's still not injury prone to the point. I'm not worried about these injuries having a prolonged um, effect on him. It's not Greg Oden's knees. So I still have faith in him being able to do this. But yeah, it's been a frustrating second year. And I feel like some people are almost judging him for that, but I don't think it's his fault. I mean, there's certain things he could do to react better, but he's 21, whatever. Um, his dad can be a little LeVar Ballish, and that can make things harder on his son. But yeah, I just, I want the guy to get a chance to prove us wrong. That's all I want. Well, and you know, it's it's weird that, you know, you mentioned injury prone and um, I tweeted this out a while back, but there's only been, including Bagley, five top five picks in the past 15 years that have missed more than half of their first two seasons. And the other four guys were all the same injury. You had Adam Morrison, who I think his knees were shot if my or elbow. There was something weird with Adam Morrison. Everyone's forgotten him as a player, so I don't really remember anything <laughs> about him. Uh, Greg Oden, obviously his knees, Joel Embiid had severe injuries to his legs and Mark Helfoltz had the weird shoulder elbow. No one really knew what happened injury. So like Marvin Bagley's a really unique case injury wise in that, you know, he broke his thumb. He hurt his foot. He hurt his other foot. He hurt his knee. He had back spasms. Like it's like the definition of injury prone, but it's not the traditional definition of injury prone, which is typically this, you know, Harry Giles and his knees are a concern. Marvin Bagley's just had every injury. It's almost like an Anthony Davis type deal. Um, it's yeah. been more severe than Anthony Davis, but it's just like all these, he just gets banged up constantly. And you have to wonder if it's fixable, when it's fixable, how it's fixable. But that's probably been the most frustrating part about it. I'm sure for Marvin Bagley, especially, but also Kings fans, there hasn't been one definitive big injury. It's been all these, I mean, 20 to 15 to 10 game injuries that pile up and, and obviously drive frustration. And yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. I think... Like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Sanjish. Uh, it's pretty unfortunate because you know, uh, the, the Kings have like so many high hopes for, so you know, the possibilities the second round or um, the second overall pick can bring. But every time Marvin Bagley, you know, there's some cautious optimism, optimism building around him, and then it all falls apart with gloomy news. And that was the case when he first came back from his thumb injury, and then he had a good game against Minnesota hurts his foot because he landed awkwardly and then he comes back against Miami and then he has a 15 point, 15 rebound, big game. And then he's found out that he re-aggravated his foot again. And then now, you know, the coronavirus put a four month hiatus on everything and he gets hurt again a few days before the scrimmages are about to start. So it's just unfortunate. Like the way he gets injured is like Tim said, like it's not exactly injury prone, but at the end of the day, there's still injuries and it's just, unfortunate for all parties involved yeah yeah luckily all this the fact that it isn't like i mean foot problems can be debilitating so let's hope that's not the case but luckily it seems like the type where next year maybe he could play 70 games if these are just injuries so that's where i hold out hope um if he has a good year next year king's fans are king's fans to their own detriment but also to their credit 
will forget if Marvin Bagley has one good week to start next season. He doesn't have to be he who who shall not be mentioned, but if he's great and the Kings are doing well next year, this year will be a flash in the pan. Um, Next year's more than likely going to be a weird season. It is going to be a weird season because this season is ending when that one is supposed to be starting. So whenever that starts, I'm hoping that this extra few months off can just let him reset his body. And next year we will all be laughing about this because our optimism turned to pessimism very quickly this season. I'm hoping the opposite can happen next year. Now it could get worse too. Who knows? Life sucks. (laughs) But yeah, it's, I'm worried from a broader level on the NBA that it's going to be a very injury heavy end of the season because of these four months off. Cause this is going to go not to not from four months to like the start of the regular season as normal. This is going to go from four months off to playoff intensity within a week or two. And I'm curious to see how many guys break down because of that. Yeah, I think we're gonna. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think we're gonna see a lot of soft injuries, a lot of ankle turns, a lot of knee twists, a lot of back spasms. Like you said, I mean, they're going to play off intensity, and most guys during the off season they take maybe a month off and then they play basketball, right? They run, they they work out. For a lot of these guys, they didn't touch a basketball for a few months, so um, it's it's totally different than off season. It's really longer than the off season. And it was less basketball and workout specific than a regular offseason. So I agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot of soft injuries, a lot of minor injuries, a lot of tweaks and twists. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting finish to the season um, to see if A, it finishes, and B, who's healthy when it finishes. And here, yeah, there's saw, never a. Uh, oh. No, go ahead. Oh, we also saw Justice Winslow get hurt this morning with his hip. And, you know, it's not even injuries, too, but, like, some players, like, on the Clippers, Patrick Beverly and Montrezl Harrell had to leave early for family matters. Same for Zion Williamson. So there's a lot of factors for all these teams to, you know, keep it on because, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I don't think there's – I mean, it might not even be a reality for at least one team to be fully healthy going into this. Yeah, it's – I'm – it's going to be so strange. <laughs> A lot of people are putting an asterisk on this year. I might say that whoever wins might, this might be the most impressive championship yet because it means they survived. <laughs> this is just crazy. I'm, I'm, are, do you guys think this is going to end or do you think this could fall apart very quickly? Just the season in general. Uh, I think it depends on, you know, the amount of injuries and, if there are more people that end up having to leave for whatever reason, you know, necessary, because then if they leave, they have to come back and be quarantined again. So, you know, they're going to miss days, but I, the zero positive test from a few days ago, that news kind of gave me optimism that maybe this thing could work out in the end overall, but we have, you know, we haven't played a game yet. So we haven't seen a game be played yet. So we still have to, you know, start this thing off to see if it's going to end or not. Yeah, I answered a mailbag um, a couple weeks ago, and someone asked me the percentage chance, and I give it about a 50% chance of finishing. Like Sanjesh mentioned, uh, the report of zero positive COVID-19 tests in the bubble was pretty impressive, to be to be honest. Um, now, all it takes is is one one outbreak, right? One outbreak, and all of a sudden, the season's over. Um, I don't think injuries injuries could affect the, I guess the um, 
the quality of play or the quality of champion, right? If like LeBron James goes down or Giannis goes down or James Harden goes down, Brad won't appreciate that last name I just threw out there. Uh, if if stars go down, the difficulty of the championship may be questioned, but the league won't shut down. Um, if there's a COVID-19 outbreak, it may shut down. I think there's maybe a 70% chance that it finishes at this point, um, assuming that there are no outbreaks. But again, one outbreak and it's done. What do you think, Brad? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I'm basically with you. It's. I, I never thought it was going to get off the ground. There's still a chance it doesn't, I guess. But if it starts, it's going to be harder to stop. But yeah, it's. I don't trust Florida or Disney World right now. And I think the NBA is trying, but it just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Seeing how quickly things unfolded the first time, I'm just worried that they're not going to be as proactive if something happens and make this even worse. I don't know. This is unprecedented, so it's kind of hard to draw off of anything we know. But I think it probably stops. I think the season probably ends if it starts, but I'm not 100% on that by any means. I'm closer to 60, 70% like you. But now back to the Kings, unless you guys have anything else to say about that. Back to the Kings, the one good side, and there's not a good side to any injury, but one good side is this team has shown they can play well. Marvin Bagley, for for all intents and purposes, was not a part of this season. So the De'Aaron Fox injury, really, if we're talking about the value to this team, is the far more concerning one. And I'm not really that concerned. It seems like he's going to be back by the time the games mean something, but it is a cause for concern. Um, Sanjish, what do you think about that? Yeah, it looks like um, the videos that, you know, the Kings have been posting recently of Fox practicing gives me optimism because he is shooting again. He is taking drives to the layup. So it looks like it won't be as bad as we had figured it would be. And the Kings do need De'Aaron Fox out there because he is the engine of this team. He's what makes this team run. He is the backbone, the spine of this team's success. And so if, you know, I saw Jason Jones, the athletic, tweet out that it appears that Fox is, you know, on track to play against the Spurs. I don't know how healthy he will be. Will he be 100%? Will he not? But the Kings need Fox to be there just as much as anybody else. And with the recent, you know, footage of him at practice being out there, it makes me comfortable that he will play. And so for that reason, for those reasons, I am cautiously optimistic about the Kings' chances right now. I really hope Fox is healthy. Um, I really hope he doesn't rush back. I think we can beat the Spurs without Fox. That may be a little bit of an aggressive stance, but the, the Spurs are missing LaMarcus Aldridge. They're missing, like, all of their big men, except... Total. Um, so there's, I mean, not that Corey Joseph is anywhere near the player that De'Aaron Fox is, but if De'Aaron Fox is still a little hobbled, but he can get back after the San Antonio game, I think the Kings can actually win that San Antonio game without Fox and then hopefully um, turn a corner from there and, and keep winning games. But I mean, if we can all be honest, if Fox misses any significant time, meaning more than like a game or two, there is, a, in my mind, a 0% chance for the Kings to make the playoffs. He's, he's that important. He's their best player. He's their most important player. He's, the, in some ways, in a lot of ways, their most unique player with his speed and his ability to attack the rim and draw fouls. So um, it seems like, uh, like Sanjay said through the videos today, it seems like he's on his way back, and hopefully he'll be back to practice later this week or even early next week, maybe even play in a scrimmage game. Um, and if that's the case, I think the Kings have a much, much better shot of at least trying to make that play in tournament. The, my one my one pushback to what you said about zero percent is it's our chances aren't good if he's not playing for any significant amount of time but they showed they can play well 
without him. So if he missed three or four, I'm not going to say 0% chance. I don't really believe in 0% chances until you're eliminated from something because sports are so weird. But they did show signs that they could be very good without him and bad without him. That said, there was a four-month break. So I have no clue what to expect. The Kings could just come out like gangbusters and make it into that playoff game. It won't shock me. The Kings could go 0-8. It won't shock me. I I don't know what to expect from them coming into this. How many uh, scrimmages are there again? Is there two or three? Three. Yeah, it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm so interested. Not just the Kings, just everyone. So interested to see how this goes. It's, yeah, it's very weird. The end of the season is going to be just about exactly a year. Now, unless the Kings do something crazy, the Kings won't be involved. But the end of this season is going to be just about a year after the Clippers and Lakers kicked off the season. That's insane that we are literally going to have a year-long season. Seems like it. It's been a long year. (laughs) 2020 is something else. Yeah, it's all that's happened this year from from the death of Kobe Bryant, obviously, at the beginning of the year to everything we went through just as a blog to all this. It just, this has been an unreal season as far as being an NBA fan, a Kings fan, all that. It's just a person on earth. I, I, I think that I'll never forget this year is one of the funnier things humans say because you rarely forget major events, but this season is going to stick out so much. This season, this year, it's going to stick out so much just because of everything strange that happens. And it would be entirely Kings for them to break the playoff spell during this season. It really would, right? Entirely Kings to break the playoff drought and entirely Kings to go 0-8, right? I mean, like, they're going to be one extreme or the other. They're either going to bring us incredible joy when we all can't be there for playoff games, or they're going to bring us complete misery and we can't be there anyway so it'll be one or the other for sure i wish and nothing about the season tells me they're gonna do this i think the king's best bet would be to go a lot a lot faster than they have played all year because i think their youth and speed could drive people crazy but i don't trust their coach to do that so i don't know what to expect yeah, hopefully Walton sticks to his word, right? I mean, he's he said, I mean, he said that during the regular season that they would play fast too, or at times he said that and times he said they weren't going to play fast. But if Fox is healthy, um, you know, teams are not going to have, like complex offensive systems are not going to work in Orlando, right? These guys have all had four months off, not just of basketball, but off of each other. Luke Walton mentioned sloppy turnovers in his press conference the other day. Um, we have to play fast. We can play fast. Um, no matter what your opinions are, Luke Walton versus Dave Yeager. Dave Yeager would be a much better coach for this situation than Luke Walton. Uh, just because we know he he can push the team to push the pace. He's going to give Darren Fox and Buddy Heald and, and would have given Rashawn Holmes a chance to really sprint down the floor. And, and hopefully Luke Walton is of that same mind of, my guys are not going to score in the half court very well. Let's get down the court. Let's bomb some threes. Let's get some layups. Let's get some dunks and and try to outrun the other team. That's really the only hope the Kings have. I agree. What about you, Sanjesh? Yeah, I completely agree, too. I mean, pace is the only thing that made this team stick out last year. It's what led the team to their success. And again, now, you know, a year later in Orlando, it's also what makes this team stick out. It was, it's what makes them, you know, prime for success. And it all relies on Fox being healthy because, you know, he is the reason why the team likes to run, why they should be running. 
Um, same goes for Buddy Hill because, you know, he's not necessarily, like, super fast, but he's always going to be running all around the court looking for an open shot. And it's, I mean, it's there for the Kings to take it if they want to, you know, push the pace. It's just a matter of if Walton is willing to do so, and he should be because, I mean, if Fox is healthy, there's no excuse to not be riding out there. And we talk a lot about Buddy Yield. Um, I tend to be more of an apologist than others, but I don't think it's a mistake that Buddy Yield was markedly worse this year and Luke Walton didn't run as much as he did last year. That's just, that's exact correlation to me. And we cannot afford in eight games, we have an eight game tryout, 11 if you include the scrimmages to get to get ready for basketball. But we have eight games in order to make it into the pl- playoffs. And that's already a long shot. And we don't have time for this petty nonsense where he tries to instill his will and put Buddy Heald on the other team's best guy and all that. We need to play to our strengths, and I am worried he's not going to let them do that. Luke Walton's treatment of Buddy Heald was by far, even more than pace to me, was by far the worst part of the season as far as Luke Walton's performance. Actually, has I've liked what he's done with several of the players. I liked his treatment of Harrison Bards moving into the four spot a lot, moving Bogdan Bogdanovich to the three spot. I liked that he played Corey Joseph and De'Aaron Fox together a decent amount to allow Corey Joseph to cover some of De'Aaron Fox's de- defensive deficiencies. Um, but yeah, his treatment of Buddy Heald, sticking him on the team's other best offensive player to challenge him uh, to challenge him to be a ball handler. I get that for the first, you know, eight, 10 games where you're trying to explore your new players, but the moment Buddy Heald couldn't handle those responsibilities and it's okay that he couldn't, Buddy Heald isn't a perfect player. He's, he's a very yeah. slotted player. He has certain skills. He's excellent and an elite in a few areas and pretty bad in others. And that's okay. Uh, but to put to challenge him like that and then to punish him when he didn't perform well, when he wasn't put in a good situation, that's what was so frustrating about Luke Walton with Buddy Heald this year. And, and like you said, hopefully he puts every guy in the right spot to succeed because Buddy Heald is a top-tier shooting guard when he's allowed to be, and Luke Walton yeah. didn't allow him to be that this season. Yeah, and I mean, Jaeger and him apparently didn't get along, but Jaeger and him had that one blowout or blow-up against the Warriors and that wasn't really a blow up that's an overstatement but Jaeger got the best out of Buddy and I'm wondering if if Buddy did in fact not like Dave Jaeger I wonder if in the back of my mind of his mind if he's missing that right now because Dave Jaeger let them play a little jazz out there and I think that's when they were at their best even at the end of last year my issue with Jaeger even though I still don't think they ever should have fired him was we stopped going to what worked so well at the beginning of the year and I think with the Kings youth just going back to what we were saying with the Kings youth and the personnel they have their shot at making the playoffs is if Walton stops being so full of himself and just does what's best for the team, not what he wants the team to be doing when he watches what they're doing out there. He needs to do think what's best for them. Not how can I prove myself? Right. Cause if he coaches like he did most of the time, the Kings don't have a chance in my opinion. I don't know if I'm being brash there, but if he coaches the way we've seen him all year, I don't see how we can find any sort of momentum. Am I crazy there? No, I don't think so. Because also, you know, now is not really the time to be, you know, searching for areas to develop players in or development in general. Now is the time to go out all out with everybody's strength. And I don't want to, I mean, like, you know, talking about Buddy Heald, I don't want to see Buddy Heald being a creator out there. It's just not something that has worked this season 
We've seen it on multiple occasions. Let other people find Buddy Healed for a good look. Um, you know, if things go south fast in the first few games, then I'm all for, you know, throwing Kagai out there for 20-plus minutes a game. But right now the focus should be making the playoffs because there is a chance that it's, you might as well shoot for that chance. And you have to play to your strengths to be able to get there. Anything to add to that, Tim? Tim, are you there? I'm back. I left one another one of your podcasts. It kicked me out. I don't know what my bad luck is with your podcasts. It just went to a login screen. Wow. Okay, well. I didn't want to hear what Sanjay had to say. I didn't miss very much. I didn't want to hear what yeah. he had to say. Yeah, he made you really mad. I, okay. That's the way I took it. I brought but, up. So we, we are basically... We're basically just still saying we got to play to our abilities. We can't. My biggest worry in all this is that Luke's going to say, hey, we didn't play fast all year. Why would we start now? When to me, that was the flaw of the entire first six months of the season or however many months that was. So that's my worry is that he's going to get he's very difficult. Like he comes across as this nice surfer dude who get has a good rapport with players, but he very much seems to me to be in the George Carl mode mold where I sincerely feel like he'd rather lose playing things his way than adjust and win going against his way. And that scares me. I think the four-year deal plays a lot into that, right? Like he's got a four-year deal. He lined up. He was the only person interviewed for the job. Not that we really need to rehash all of that, but he was, you know, he was the golden boy for Vlade Divac. So I think he legitimately took those first, that first half of the season and went, I'm just going to play. And by, by play, I mean play around because I just need to figure out exactly what's going to work for me. I'm going to try to install some principles because I have zero danger of losing my job and I've been given the uh, permission to do so. I don't think the Kings ever expected necessarily. I think they wanted to make the playoffs this year, but I don't think they necessarily expected to do so. And now that the Kings didn't play well, I would say, for the majority of the season, obviously the Marvin Bagley situation isn't looking great for the front office, the current front office. I'm wondering if Marvin Bag or excuse me, Luke Walton is looking at a situation a little bit more of, well, maybe my job isn't so safe, especially if this front office doesn't last much longer, which um, the way things are going, both with the team and then with obviously the number two overall pick, they may not last much longer. So hopefully Luke Walton turns it on a little bit and says, I got to win games to keep my job. And like you said, the best way to do that is to play the team's strengths. And after a couple of years, as down as I am on the Lakers, I actually defended Luke Walton there thinking he's not that bad. But I think it's one of those like having Rondo on your team where unless you're experiencing it firsthand, you don't quite get why it's so infuriating. Because to this day, there are people who think Rondo is a valuable member of an NBA team. Um, and I don't see it at all. I almost see Luke Walton as the coaching version of that now that I'm seeing him firsthand is this metaphor landing at all i'll take that as a no i was gonna let sanjish talk i felt like i talked a lot right then what do you think sanjish um yeah i feel like with because i have a friend who's a lakers fan and one of the things that you know when the kings hired walton was that he he kind of did warn me that be careful with how the way you know walton uses his players how I, I know Kuzma was kind of like an outlier with him, but guys like, you know, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball really weren't playing to their full potentials. 
or being, you know, maximized to Washington anyway, and they go to the New Orleans Pelicans, and now they're like, they look like completely different players. Um, and so we kind of saw that with the Kings this season under Walton, where Buddy Heald is being utilized as a completely different player. And I know the Fox injury had to play into that, but the Kings can be much better than where they are right now, but it's up to Walton to, you know, kind of push the players to play to their strengths, not trying to develop things that are not working, um, and rather just stick to developing what is working. You can only ride the momentum of being a Steve Kerr cover band during the 72-win season for so long. Eventually, you have to develop a style of yourself, which I'm not even saying I see a Steve Kerr style there. I don't at all. I don't see a style with Luke Walden. He's a coach. He's that when they don't get the rights to a classic team and just generate a coach in 2K, that's him. I don't know what his strengths and weaknesses are still. And that's scary to me on the first year four-year deal where we didn't interview anybody else. And I think Luke Walton's here to stay. Um, my prediction, and this is going to be maybe a little bit bold, is that the front office sticks through next year for sure. After next year, assuming the Kings don't take off and you know do great things, which we're Kings fans, we're not going to assume that's going to happen. Um, I think the front office will be let go after next. And then whoever the new... GM is front offices that that's brought in. We told give Luke Walton a year, see if you like him, and if not, you can terminate him the following year because that gives them three years essentially of paying Luke Walton as a head coach. Um, in every season, but Mike Malone's first season, the Kings have been paying at least two coaches per year, and that's insane to think about. Um, and I think that money talks, right? I mean, that's why. I should say it's rumored, it's been rumored that part of the reason they didn't fire George Carl mid-season, whichever year that was, I don't remember exactly which season, when they said they were going to at the All-Star break and then pulled that back was because some people pushed back because they didn't want to pay an additional head coach on top of George Carl, on top of Mike Malone, on top of Ty Corbin, which kind of makes <laughs> sense, right? Um, this is just a ridiculous conversation to have as a sports fan. Um, but I think Luke Walton's here to stay. I... I'm like up and down with Walton as far as I think he did some good things. I think he did some crappy things. I think, you know, as much as we love Dave Yeager and appreciate what he did for the team offensively, as much as we talked about Dave Yeager as like a good defensive coach, the, he never he never built a defensive system for the Kings. Part of that was they didn't yeah. have good defenders. But, I mean, he never built that system. Luke Walton has – we saw some games – where the Kings were a defensive-minded team. And it never stuck for the full season, obviously. I think he's put in some good principles. I think he's done some really crappy stuff, too. So I'm not totally out on Walton. I think these eight games are going to tell me a lot about who he is as a coach and how adaptable he is, though. And I think that's kind of what we're all getting at. How about you, Sanjish? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's going to be a little, for me personally, I think it's a little tough to um, judge Walton a lot on this one because you know, a lot of teams are going to look rough and you only have eight games to really prove yourself, especially for the Kings if they don't make the playoffs. Um, you're pretty limited on what you can do right now, but I do want to see, like Tim said, I want to see Walton be adaptable. I want him to show that he's willing to put the team first, you know, um, playing to people's strengths, as I mentioned, or as we already talked about, and try to find positives to build on for next season if things don't necessarily go their way. Um, because, you know, when Walton took this job, there was, I mean, for once, like, you know, the Sacramento Kings were a team that people should have been looking to coach because there's a lot of young talent on here looking to shine. You know, you have Fox, you have 
the potential in Bagley. You have Heald, you have Bovey, you have Barnes. Um, you can throw in Giles in there too. And Walton, like Tim already mentioned, he's done you know good things. He's also done bad things. And I'm on that same boat, but I do want to see more good things coming out of Walton rather than you know having to be cautiously optimistic about what he can bring to this team. Yeah, we'll move on after this. But one thing I'm learning, I meant to say this right after Tim is. There's one way to really save having to pay four separate coaches at once, and that's not firing one because your best player has viral meningitis, and then hiring two more coaches within two months to that. So I think I was talking, I forget if that was you guys or someone else. I was talking to someone else. It seems like a lot of the Kings' problems stem from them trying to correct the last mistake they made, whether it's drafting, coaching, all that. And so many aspects of this make me worry that this trend is just going to continue and continue until they try to actually like do something that's just better for the team, not just a reaction to the previous bad thing they did. And I'm worried about that. Luke Walton's just the latest in that. It'll be something else after. I don't know. But we're going to give Luke Walton three years in Tim's plan, which is longer than we gave Mike Malone or Dave Yeager, who were better coaches. And it's so frustrating to me. Not saying that this is going to happen if that happened in Tim's plan. Yeah, and good organizations are proactive. Bad organizations are reactive. And we've seen for 13 years, the Kings have been reactive, right? Like you, I mean, that, that was a great point. They they make a decision, typically a bad one. And then instead of just kind of letting that sit for a second and reassessing, they immediately snap and go make a different decision. And then they snap and go make a different decision and snap. And it's just this like constant turmoil. And that's why coaches don't last. That's why GMs don't last. Although weirdly enough, Lade has, uh, that's why players don't last. We, we draft players, we trade for players, we sign players and we trade them all away. And then we get a whole new roster. We see this massive turnover every year in personnel, both management and player. And we just need to start, giving people a chance and that may be Luke Walton. Um, then again, we've given Vladi Divac a chance and he has uh, frankly failed miserably. So we just, as an organization, especially the, I, I think it probably goes back to ownership. There needs to be a plan in place and real hiring processes put into place for huge positions rather than just liking someone, right? The Kings for whatever reason operate from liking people. You, you see that in the Vladi Divac hire. You see that in the Luke Walton hire. You see that in a lot of Vladi drafts where he said, this guy wanted to be here. You see that in a lot of their free agent signings. You know, this person wanted to come to Sacramento. And there's a joke in the Sacramento community of, hey, if you want to get drafted, just tell them you want to come to Sacramento and they'll draft you. So I think the Kings just need to get into that mode of, I'm going to be proactive in what I do and I'm going to be professional in what I do. If they can follow those principles, this team has talent. We just need to maximize that talent both from a front office perspective and from a, a player perspective and to add to that like you know maximizing this talent it's kind of a scary thought because the kings are not as young as they were a season or two ago you know besides fox bagley giles i mean if you want to throw justin justin james in there um the kings are getting much older you know fox i mean not fox bogey barnes buddy all of these players are you know, 27 and up now, and the window is closing because if the Kings aren't able to show that this is the core that can take them to the playoffs, a uh, core that can end the drought, then we're probably looking at some some odd reality where the Kings try to, you know, trade these players and look for 
another startup from scratch all over again, and the process of dysfunction will continue. I asked this question earlier, and I, I want to throw it out to you all. Um, I asked this to a, a group of us. Who had more talent around them, DeMarcus Cousins or Dreon Fox? DeMarcus Cousins had better two and three men. I don't even know about that. Um, DeMarcus Cousins had far worse depth. That's about the yes. best answer I can yeah. give. Yeah, yeah. worse depth. Yeah, we're pretty gay. Yeah, Rudy no, Gay, I think, is the second best player that of anyone, right? Like he's better than Barnes. He's I I would argue he's probably more valuable than Buddy. Um, maybe. Well, that's a that's a tough call there. But like you said, I, yeah, I think you could. I, they're such different players. It's kind of hard to even compare them, even though they're both shooters in a way. But yeah, I think you could compare. I don't think I'll judge either side if someone likes Buddy or Rudy more. Um, I think both at the peak of their game are better than Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes might be more valuable than either ever were, though. I don't know. Yeah, because the thing was, you know, Cousins, Gay, and Thomas, they all averaged over 20 points per game, and you think that, like, if people, like, you have three players doing that, then this is the team to look out for, but no, they weren't even, you know, necessarily fighting for a top playoff spot in the West. The depth was just not there, as Brad mentioned, but Fox has, Fox has good potential teammates you know players that can be possible all-star guys in Bagley if he stays healthy you know Buddy was a fringe all-star candidate last season so there's arguments to be made for both sides but it is a tough call at the end this is gonna depress Brad I was just gonna say oh go ahead I was just gonna say IT Gay and Cousins and games they all three played were 500 basketball they were 32 and 32 and even without Isaiah Thomas, the the Rudy Gay, DeMarcus Cousins Kings were looking so good under a coach who just unleashed something in both of them. And we threw it all away because our GM was an egotistical moron. I was trying to think of a proper way to refer to him. But yeah, we lost, we just, almost everything. We're, we're talking about the vicious cycle, the Groundhog Day n- nature of the Kings. I'm half joking, but I feel like we could actually, which maybe we should do it a piece sometime. We can connect the most recent King's mistake, whatever you want to call that. And we could probably make a chain of reactions back to, I don't know, the Chris Webber trade. Even that was like, I still think a bad move, but it, it wasn't the death knell. The death knell was Rick Adelman. But we could probably make a chain of the Kings reacting to themselves and shooting themselves in the foot back that far i feel like it wouldn't be that hard no i don't think it would be at all and the the biggest mistake was made in 2018 but we won't talk about that a bigger mistake than mike malone oh no not at all <laughs> not a bigger mistake but he's banned and you're banned from the podcast if you ever mention him i'm just um, gonna go back to that lock screen yeah but uh, i still i think without mentioning hugh shall not be named i think the malone one bothers me more because in the back of my mind, I truly feel like we're something special now and I'm not worrying about him. So it's like everything after that seems like a reaction to it. So that's why it bothers me so much more than any of the other stupid things we've done. Um, but yeah, having years like where you draft some made-up guy named Yorgi Papianis with your lottery pick doesn't help things either. Uh, we've wasted every 
first round pick so far, except for De'Aaron Fox under Vladi Divac. Obviously, Bagley's still up in there, so I don't want to say his we've pick had... was a waste. But... No, I'm not saying we've only had two picks that were the right pick. We've had two objectively good picks since 2006. Within like five years of that time, the Sonics slash Thunder drafted Russell Webb, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. Now, they had better lottery luck than us, sure, but they also just drafted well. Like, it's easy for us Kings fans to get mad that the team never wins the lottery, but the fact is, if they won those lotteries, they're probably just picking someone else and bypassing the talent because that's what the Kings have done through late-era Jeff Petrie, Pete D'Alessandro, Lottie Divock, and who knows, maybe the next person too. Yeah, I mean, waste first-round draft picks when you're a rebuilding team and you're not going to go anywhere, and that's what we've found time and time again with the Kings. And hopefully Marvin Bagley is the all-star level player that he could be. I mean, Marvin Bagley has a ton of talent. I wrote an article last year that talked about how he was a better rookie prospect than DeMarcus Cousins, and I, I believed that at the time, and I still believe that of his rookie season. We just haven't seen him capitalize on that over the last year. So that's where we're kind of stuck with Marvin Bagley. And still, I maintain with Marvin Bagley, nobody was this pessimistic about him before this year. And injuries will do that. So I'm not blaming everyone who's mad about his injuries. But even like the moments following that first injury against Phoenix, it seemed like we went from a summer where people were like accepting of his draft position and hopeful. And then like he got injured and everyone just turned. And that's why I'm hoping it can just turn right back into the other direction. And he's going to need to be on the court to, you know, turn that direction. Because yeah. at this point, there's a lot of turning to be made, you know, for people to feel confident about Bagley again. Because let's say if he's on the court for 10 straight games and he does well, it's a minor turn, but there's a possibility that he gets hurt in the 11th game. So you know, who knows? Because the one thing we do need to see from Bagley um, is if he can play more than at least 60 games in a season. And that's something we're going to need to see from him next year. You know, the quicker the better because it's just looking rough for him right now. Yeah. And to defend him this year, he never got a chance to get in any sort of groove whatsoever. So I'm almost treating this year as just a wash. I'm not holding any of his play on the court against him this year. Next year will be his Ben Simmons sophomore season to me. <laughs> With 10 games or whatever he's played exception. So yeah, that's what I'm worried about more than anything. And like we said, his injuries seem to be bad luck more than anything. But you could also ask, is this what the modern crop of NBA players who get thrown into AAU and all that, are they getting strained, their body strained by the time they're 21? And does that affect Marvin Bagley's? I don't know. Is is that a thing that anyone's mentioned? Yeah, it's, it's weird that, you know, you've got like a Harry Giles who was injured throughout his career, right? Or players like that like Marvin's so odd because as far as I understand it in high school he never experienced a significant injury at Duke I think he missed three or four games to like a turned ankle or back spasms it was something super minor zero concerns like no matter what you thought of the Marvin Bagley draft pick when it happened no one said well this guy might get injured a bunch like there was there was was zero belief because there was zero history of that and then he enters the NBA and his rookie season he was hurt a little bit um he missed like 18 games or something like that and, and again that's just like okay that's fine i mean whatever and then he just can't seem to get healthy after that it's just it's so perplexing 
And I think as sports fans, we like to always think there's an explanation for something. There is a chance in all this that it's just bad luck. Like it could be his shoes. It could be strained from years of AAU and all that. Maybe he just has Francisco Garcia's luck and exercise balls pop under him. And Brad Miller doesn't get out of the way when he's hitting a ball out of a rim. There is a chance that just we're laughing about this year from now on, because none of these injuries should linger. And that's what I'm holding my hope on for the future. Um, I'm not too worried about us without him this year because we had, we didn't have him all year, but going forward, that's what I'm hanging my hat on. And that's why I feel like I'm a little less pessimistic than others. He did show last year that he could be, you know, a potential 2010 guy. There were some games that he completely took over like uh, a game against the Suns. He put up like 32 points was He's scoring like every bucket in in the third quarter. Um, that disastrous Brooklyn Nets comeback was mainly being kept from not being, you know, completely blown up because Marvin Bagley was putting everything in the bus in the bucket. Um, I know he put up 28 and 14 against the Golden State Warriors back when you know they were fully healthy and fully good. So there's there's reason to be optimistic, but based on his injury like this season, I totally get why people are not you know completely optimistic about him right now. One more plug for Bagley's potential. Um... Pulled this up a while back. Bagley was one of nine rookies to average at least 14.5 points and 7.5 rebounds in their rookie year over the last 20 years. The other players, Blake Griffin, he who shall not be named, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, <laughs> Pau Gasol, DeAndre Eden, Ben Simmons, and Emeka Okafor. Like, that's a that's a solid list of dudes. So uh, the yeah. talent is undeniably there. Even if there are some flaws to his game that he needs to fix eventually, talent is there. Is availability there? That's that's the big question that we're not going to get answered until next year at least. Going this, I kept meaning to bring this up. This should be an opportunity for Harry Giles to get his tryout for when another team inevitably outbids us for him this offseason. Um, I think he might get some minutes, especially given that other guys might not be ready outside of Bagley. I don't know what Len's status is and all this, but this could be Harry Giles. Hopefully it's good for the Kings, but this could be a great breakout time for him, which could be bad for the Kings because it could mean another team swoops him up because we were stupid. Yeah, I think as far as yeah. we know, Len hasn't started working with the team. I think he's just doing like individual workouts from what I remember. Obviously, Holmes is back with the team, and he should be good to go, so that's great. Yeah. So Giles will probably have the backup spot if Len isn't healthy. Um, and then, like you said, I mean, if Giles plays great, I'm really happy for him. I, Giles is one of my favorite players on the Kings, no matter what he wants to say about me in post-game interviews. Um, and so, for me, I think he could potentially get into a position where he plays well enough to have someone outbid the Kings. But the fact that there is no cap space this summer and teams are going to be very tight with their money, that does work in the Kings' favor with Harry Giles. Because I don't know if a whole lot of teams are going to take risk with a guy like Harry Giles, a project player, where they're going to have to give him you know, $5 million a year to outplay the Kings or 4.5. Not sure how many teams are going to do that, but it's, it's entirely possible he plays well enough to get himself a little bit of a payday next year. It was so easily avoidable. Uh, that's, that wasn't maybe that should be the title of this podcast. Just everything's so easily avoidable with the Kings. And yet, here we are. Anyways, like, anything you know, else? Oh, go ahead, oh, go ahead Sanjay. Uh, it, yeah, it just seemed like such but, an easy decision. I mean, he's still 21, and you're already, you know, 
giving up on him by not picking up his option is just so so strange. There's so much potential in Giles. I know he's injured, and the Kings weren't necessarily happy with his shape coming into camps and things like that. But it's just to give up on a 21-year-old like that so easy, so easily and so quickly by not picking up his option is something that's always going to be confusing to me, especially if he does shine in Orlando and another team decides that it's worth taking, you know, that risk to pay him. Yeah. Like, I don't know the Spurs cap space, but my nightmare is that he shows some promise and he gets a discount deal with the Spurs. Who knows? We might have to outbid someone else if he even wants to stay because another thing the Kings are great at is burning bridges between players. So he might take a discount to just not play here, but a team like the Spurs with a coach like Pop who could get the most out of Harry Giles is my nightmare. I don't think Harry Giles is ever going to be a superstar, all-star or anything, but I have high hopes that he's going to be a very good player, a very good role player, maybe a very good starter, but and I worry he's going to be another one like that they think, oh, the Kings could have very easily had this and didn't. Yeah, Harry Giles would be a sleeper option too because they're known for developing young talent too. Uh, some of the guys that have come up from the G League last season are now vital, you know, pieces to the Miami's success this season. And Giles in a Miami, my city jersey would be something I'd probably cop. <laughs> I really like the Heat. They are such a weird roster. I I think they're either going to be like a sleeper team come Orlando or terrible. I don't know which. Apparently no heat takes here. I got nothing. <laughs> no no hey, no hot heat takes. Tim without hot takes? Mama Miami. I don't know. I could I, there's something with Mama Mia in Miami there. I couldn't get it. <laughs> I tried. That was terrible. Hey, what do you, we'll just add I think we've basically covered all the Kings news, which is nice to have Kings news, I guess, even if it's all bad. Terrible. Um, do you since I talked about my sleeper team, do you have sleeper teams who you think could outdo their expectations come Orlando? I'm not sure. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sanchez. No, no, you can can go. You can go. All right. Uh, I don't know if they're a sleeper team, but I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to do a ton of damage uh, in Orlando and in the playoffs. They're supposedly going to have Andre Roberson back healthy, or at least healthy-ish. And if he's at all the player he used to be as a wing defender, um, they're going to be a killer team. So I'm going to say the Thunder are going to go pretty far in the playoffs, maybe Western Conference Finals. With Chris yeah, Paul. Thunder is a good pick. Um, they have Chris Paul leading the way, and he's completely changed the look of outlook of this team, even though he's not necessarily the youngest guy. But for me, I think Portland is going to be a team to look out for. I know this kind of, you know, the numbers are kind of against him to take the eighth seed or possibly make the ninth seed for the play-in games but they're fully healthy now and Damian Lillard I'm never going to count out against him because we we all know what he can do um <laughs> CJ McCollum is there they're getting back Zach Collins um Nurkic is coming back and he's healthy and this is going to be a team that is going to play spoiler for a lot of people I think I think Portland if this was an even playing field and just every team had eight games and the best of that record I think Portland would be my pick for the eighth seed. Um, They're just Damian Lillard is probably the best weapon to have of the non-playoff teams. Um, Who knows what Zion will do? Because a lot of people think Zion is the reason that there's this weird odd team format to begin with. So I'm curious how that's going to play out. 
can I throw in some nerd stuff real quick? Yeah. Uh, so Portland has the big, biggest advantage game-wise because they played more games than anyone else before the break. So if there is a tie as far as record goes uh, for the eighth or ninth seed, it's going to go to win percentage. And because Portland played more games, their wins count for slightly more. So if they, let's just say they go six, five and three, and then the Pelicans go five and, or whatever happens where they tie record with someone else, they're going to get the spot because they're going to have 0.001 win percentage more than the other team. So if they can tie another team, they're going to win it, which is just insane to me. It's totally unfair from the NBA's perspective. I have no idea why they did that, but they did. So Portland has a slight advantage heading into those games. Yeah, there's so many weird things that could happen because of this. Why would you not just add a stipulation that there's a coin cost? I don't know. Yeah, there's, like, game. there's tiebreakers built in. Like there's there's head-to-head uh head-to-head matchups, and if then that doesn't if they tie, then it's I think it's uh whoever's a division winner, if and if there's no division winner, whoever had the better conference record or whoever had the better division record, if they're in the same division, if they're not in the same division, whoever had the better conference record, then it's point like there's tiebreakers built in, but for whatever reason the NBA was like, Yeah, screw those tiebreakers. If it's Portland, they just get it. And that's just so weird to me. Who knows? I'm surprised they didn't cover that up just to get Zion that extra point zero zero one percent advantage. True. I like I like a good conspiracy. I think I like this Zion conspiracy because that's the type of NBA conspiracy they would absolutely do. Well, and they have the easiest schedule, right? I mean, so you have the easiest schedule. You've got the star. You pretty sure they did this format just to get Zion and the TV money from Zion. He's I believe the Pelicans are one of the first teams on TNT, if I'm not mistaken. So there's clearly, and and the Pelicans have by far the easiest schedule, and of course the NBA adjusted schedule. So I'm 100% on board with you with the Zion conspiracy. And we haven't even seen the way the games are going to be called yet. As far as referees go. Get Tim Donahue out there. Ah, they're all Tim Donahue. That's my other conspiracy theory. Literally, they're just all Tim Donahue in costumes. Masks. Yeah. It's masks. like that John it's like that John Oliver bit where the there's only one Olsen twin and they're just really fast going back and forth. That's my conspiracy about referees. What's your conspiracy, Sanjay? I think I interrupted you for that hilarious joke. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that like I, I I'm on board with that theory too because I know they're the first game they play is against the Utah Jazz. Um which is a weird choice to go for your first, you know, pick. And I know he's not currently with the team right now because of the family matter he had to attend to, but this all, everything about this restart is just is just looking like, you know, the NBA wants the Pelicans to play the Lakers in the first round because why not? Everything, you know, money runs a lot of things, so there's a lot of money on the table if the Pelicans can get into that eighth spot. Going back, I think this has potential right here to be like a career-damaging decision not the conspiracy theory just the whole way they're coming back for adam silver like i think that he's handled just about everything poorly since covid hit but like if something goes wrong through all this this is gonna be it could be small potatoes compared to what happens but this could be like his whole legacy not getting donald sterling out of here not whatever whatever other things he's done if this goes as south as it could go, 
him and other sports leagues, all that are just going to look so bad. It's been interesting to see. I think the NBA has done a relatively poor job of handling all the socialist social justice issues going on too, like limiting the message to really generic statements, not letting Jimmy Butler have no name on his jersey, not letting victims' names be, be on jerseys. Just so many like odd restrictions. He's really, really ducked questions around like kneeling for the anthem. He's just basically said it's in the rule book that they need to stand. And so it's just been interesting to see as as progressive as a league, we think we we say that the NBA is compared to other sports leagues, doesn't necessarily mean they're super progressive compared to the rest of the world. So it's been it's been really interesting to see Adam Silver handle not only the COVID nineteen pandemic, but the social justice things happening and yeah. how oddly like unnecessarily restrictive they've been about things that you would feel like why wouldn't you just make the players and the community in general happy and allow these things to happen? It's just been odd to me. Yeah, it's I he he started showing his colors on the social justice stuff a couple of years ago when he was commenting on it. So, but yeah, he they're the woke league against Major League Baseball and the NFL. Congratulations. That's I that's why I always laughed at this because yeah, it's it's not very good competition. So the NBA botched this. The messages on the back of the jerseys are just, they look like one of those equality bumper stickers. Just, I'm surprised they aren't putting the, those bumper stickers on the players' backs. It does not make sense. I'm flustered. And with that, should, should we sign off so I don't get overly flustered? Yeah, I'm can, I, can, can I say one more thing? Yes. Luka Doncic. I knew you were going to do that. I hate you. You're banned for life. To. That's fine. Banned, speak, not to mention, or not to quote Adam Silver, banned for life. I'll be back. <laughs> Sanjay, do you want to do you want to rinse out our ears with something positive to say? Marvin Bagley is out for the remainder of the season. Wow. <laughs> wow. The youths right now, Gen Z, they're just so cynical. <laughs> Is San, Sanjesh isn't he, I don't know is that your generation Sanjesh like I don't even know what generation you are he might be I, he might be too young to be Gen Z he might be Gen A they might start over for his I'm like in the middle I think aren't I I mean I'm 20 so I don't necessarily fall into one I think or to any but <laughs> you could tell you could just see the air quotes when he said 20 because we all know he's like seven <laughs> he had asked his parents permission to get online to Disney.com or whatever it is. I yeah. had to get my parents permission to hear the Uber conference woman talk. That's <laughs> true. She's she's something else. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for joining us. Where can they find you? All that good stuff. Any you can say what your favorite piece you've written lately was. Just have at it. Self promote, Sanjesh. You get to go first because Tim made me mad. Um. Yeah, I just write on the King's Herald, um, the sports editor on the Daily 49er, which is the Long Beach State newspaper. Um, just check me out on Twitter at has, or at the Sanjesh thing. How about you, I Tim? Al- I also write for the King's Herald, as does Brad, in case you were wondering. Uh, and you can find me at Tim Axel 22 I'm also known as the Sacktown Baby Giraffe. And I haven't written much this week, so I recently wrote about how the Kings should um, start small assuming Harrison Barnes and Darren Fox are obviously 
healthy. So I'm very much a proponent of Fox, Buddy, Bogey, Barnes, Holmes as the starters. Uh, and you'll see some stuff from me this week about Marvin Bagley as well. And I write, I write the posts that are attached to these episodes. So I do write for the Kings Herald. Thank you very much. I said Hopefully I write there. something again soon. Yeah. But you can follow me at the real Brad G. You can see my art. I in the last month I've suddenly become Picasso. So you can see my art there. Oh, I I did the Sports Illustrated cover and I'm very proud of it. So picture like Tim's takes and the opposite of that. That's how I feel about that art. So I'm proud of it. That's all I have to say. I will talk to you guys next week. I think I have a guest lined up who might be fun, might be terrible. We'll see. But talk to you guys then. <laughs>